folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch the baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hey everyone, Matthew Collar here. We'll get into the show in just a second, but first got to tell you about Abner Maris, a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, a dad to two little girls. Beloved by Abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Maris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer he is today. He will discuss the state of boxing, sports, music, culture, and his American dream. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish are out on Wednesdays. All right, let's get to the show. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here and joining me, Derek Klassen. You know him from such internet things as Football Outsider, and he's also been grinding Vikings tape and writing about it for zone coverage as well. And so you know what that means, Derek. You know the rules. If you write about the Vikings, then you have to come on the show. What is up, sir? Not too much, man. How are you today? Well, you know, it's been a week. It's been a very interesting <laughs> week. And so there's a new bit on the show that I have to tell you about. It's Kirk Cousins trade scenarios. And uh, so I went through them on an earlier episode, some of the funnier ones that I got. Kirk Cousins for Dwayne Haskins was probably the worst one that uh, that I received via Twitter. And today I've gotten a couple of emails about the salary cap situation if they trade Kirk Cousins. So we have to give the people what they want. Derek, I don't think this is realistic that they trade Kirk Cousins. However, if they want to know about it, let's talk about it. Should the Vikings trade Kirk Cousins? Your thoughts? I mean, I guess it depends. Like, if you're if you're going to trade him, you're admitting that not only this year is doomed, but, like, next year is doomed. And so not trading him would be like, okay, well, even if this year sucks, we still think we can figure out things for next year, which I think they can. I think they still have plenty of uh, a good foundation. I think a lot of things have just gone oddly wrong. Like, they've had some just weirdly catastrophic endings to a lot of these games, um, which feels like very Falcons-y, even more so than, like, a lot of Viking seasons tend to be. So uh, I personally would not trade K uh, Kirk Cousins, but um, as someone who has hated Kirk Cousins before, I understand the sentiment of wanting him out of town. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's let's talk about the um, sort of pros and cons here. You're not old enough, I don't think, for the famous Boy Meets World episode where he puts M&Ms in the two things. No, so a group of millennials will totally understand what I'm getting at. <laughs> TGI Friday used to be a huge deal. You kids don't understand. But um, so the positives of trading Kirk Cousins, if you were to do it now to some someone like, I don't know, not that Dallas would do this, but just, I don't know, if you were doing it right now to the Jets or something, I don't know, um, then you lose the rest of the games and you get a really high draft pick and you can probably not get Fields or Lawrence, but you can get one of the other guys who's a top pick. If you do it next offseason, you could still do the draft thing, but then it doesn't quite match up with your rebuild where you want to be good for 2021 or your GM or your coach but you could also do the thing where you get somebody else's quarterback who they let go. Like trying to figure out how to thread that needle of when you should do it and for what I think is probably the hardest part of figuring out any Kirk Cousins trade scenario. Right. I mean, well, that's the thing is that if, 
if you're going to trade him, I don't think there's a good scenario where you trade him and have another guy who can play right now and make them compete now. Like, I just don't think that that's possible, whether it's you think Haskins is some sort of rebuild project or you think you can swap with the, you know, the Cowboys for Andy Dalton for whatever reason, like whatever it is, I don't think that you're going to get a viable quarterback now. So like I said, like trading Kirk Cousins is an admission of failure for this year and for next year. And honestly, like if they're doing that, it's not entirely out of the question that they would scrap the coaching staff if they end up doing that. So like trading Kirk Cousins is like way beyond just quarterback problems this year. It's like a whole like fork in the road for the entire franchise, which I don't know if they want to deal with right now. I agree. And if you are the front office who not only signed him, but extended him, then doesn't exactly look like, you know, what you're doing if you're trading him, uh, which is another reason for it not to happen. Uh, now, how about this? One? Would you trade Kirk Cousins straight up one for one for Jimmy Garoppolo? No. That's another trade scenario. I get that one all the time. I think absolutely not. I mean, they're both, they're both more products of their systems than not, but I trust even for some of the funny catastrophic ways Cousins has found ways to lose games this year, I don't think that he's worse than Jimmy Garoppolo. And I don't think Jimmy being any younger has like any bearing on meaning anything. Okay, compare and contrast for me because Jimmy won a lot of games for the San Francisco 49ers. He has them up in the Super Bowl uh, in the fourth quarter. He gets a pass batted down. Sorry, how, how about your defense make a stop? I'm just saying. Like, that wasn't Jimmy Garoppolo's fault. He played pretty well in the Super Bowl. And you have Cousins on the other side, who's had good teams, good receivers, and has exactly what you described. You said this year he's found some ways to lose the game. It's really since 2018 <laughs> when he joined the Minnesota Vikings of finding ways uh, especially when it's against winning teams or good defenses. Uh, it's a crazy stat, but it's true. He has two wins in the regular season against teams that went to the playoffs. Both times it's the 9-7 and seven Eagles. There is an element of that that I think fans get exhausted with. See, when each year, three, four, five times, you get excited. There's football on Sunday night football against a really good football squad that it would be fun to beat. And then your quarterback throws a weird interception to KJ Wright, right? It's like, it's just, you know, I'm not saying that was his fault that game because he played really well down the stretch, but it was the typical, why did you do that? And that really hurt your team. Um, and I guess I just wonder when it comes to those two, like why has Jimmy won so many more games and gotten his team to the Super Bowl versus Cousins? I mean, a lot of this kind of comes down to just how I feel about Kyle Shanahan. I think Shanahan is the single best play caller in the NFL right now. I think he's even better than Andy Reid. It's just Andy. I mean, Andy Reid's fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but he also has like three Hall of Famers on that team, which is kind of insane. Um, but to me, Shanahan's just like the best guy. And I think he does more to mask some of Jimmy Garoppolo's issues than Cousins gets. And that's not to say Cousins hasn't played with good offensive coordinators. It's just Shanahan is, he's doing the same things that Cousins gets, but just like infinitely better. Um, and I think Garoppolo is for one, a lot more consistent. I don't think he's any better against, um, or a lot more inconsistent, I should say. I don't think he's any better against pressure. I think the one good argument for Garoppolo may be more that, like, his peaks are better um, just because he can, like – like, when he's really hitting in terms of accuracy, he's probably better. But, like, I don't trust Garoppolo to process anything that Shanahan doesn't do for him. Whereas, at least with Cousins, I can trust him out of empty. If you have to go to gun and you're not, you know, three touchdowns behind, I think he can still run a fairly efficient offense and, and throw some accurate balls there. Whereas, like, Garoppolo, it just feels like way too much of a mixed bag on a down-to-down basis. Yeah, and uh, we see even the slight corrosion of the roster here, and Jimmy Garoppolo is not the same Jimmy Garoppolo. We sort of talked about that criticism of Kirk Cousins, and it would kind of feel like trading Kirk Cousins for uh, longer named Kirk Cousins. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and, and uh, the other part of this too is. Can you win with someone like that? And what we've seen go to the Super Bowl in recent years is quarterbacks who are kind of like that with Jared Goff. And we see the um, the majesty of McVay this year, again, getting Jared Goff playing very well again after a down season. But, you know, here's Kirk, the first couple games before Justin Jefferson emerges, he can't really do anything. Then he gets his top 
a talented receiver in Jefferson to, you know, have a coming out party. All of a sudden Kirk Cousins is good again. You know, he gets a couple of great plays from Irv Smith. It's it's just always sort of this, you know, what's around them, the offense, how it's being called. I think people are finally realizing how good Kevin Stefanski was last year. Now that he's in Cleveland getting the most out of Baker Mayfield. And I, I guess that it's become this sort of like entire category of quarterback like the system guy and I think Kirk is kind of the top end of that as frustrating as he can be no absolutely I think if you and that's not to say that there aren't other quarterbacks who would run the system better like um I mean obviously like Patrick Mahomes would be better in this system than anybody else but of course he's Patrick Mahomes and we're seeing now like Aaron Rodgers like you wouldn't typically think of him as that kind of quarterback but he's playing in that system now and he's better than all these other guys um, but I think, yeah, when you think of the general, like, standard for what that system is, whether it's Cousins, Schaub, um, Garoppolo, Goff, like, I think you could maybe argue that Goff is, like, a little bit better of a version, but I think his lows are also a lot lower than a guy like Cousins, whereas Cousins is kind of, like, gives you the best of both worlds in this system of giving you a decent baseline and having a decent enough peak that you can win games with him. It just seems like I mean, this Vikings team, like you said, since 2018, they just find ways to lose. Whether that's his fault or somebody else's, um, they just keep finding ways to do it. So, um, But I guess that is, you know, like you mentioned, the frustrating part is, like, if you're specifically looking for a guy in this archetype, it's probably not really going to get a whole lot better for you than Kirk Cousins. And, um, you know, I, I think when you look at what they did against the New Orleans Saints last year was the perfect example of what it takes to win with Kirk Cousins. And, and that's where with Cousins, you know that you have a path. You kind of know exactly what you have to do, what exactly you need as your roster, what exactly you need as your play caller and your uh, offensive scheme, which I think Gary Kubiak over the last couple of games has really gotten it together. I mean, the other night, the screen pass game was working. I think he needs that. Um, you know, some of the downfield stuff, but some of the shorter passes as well. And then you need your defense to be good. It's like you really need a complete team because he's not going to be able to put anything on his back and overcome it. And I think this is where the frustration comes from Vikings fans is not only the kooky interceptions that he throws or the strip sacks and fumbles that I think he still has more fumbles than anybody else in the NFL since 2015. Um, but, you know, I think the, the other part of it is how often do you thread that needle in, in terms of getting all of those things to come together all at the same time? They did in 2017 before he was here. And since then, it's been – and look, I'm as frustrated at the right guard as everybody else, but it's always, well, if, if the right guard's not playing well, then, you know, what, what can Kirk even do? And if the running game isn't working, well, what can Kirk even do? Well, for $30 million on the salary cap, he should be able to do a little more. And so I think that that's kind of that, I don't know what you call it. Like the, the, I'm seeing sort of like a, like a chart or something where you have one line and it just doesn't ever hit the other one because it needs to be right there in that, in that one point of, of connection that is just so hard to ever happen. Absolutely. I mean, I think with those Shanahan offenses in particular, like I think threading that needle just doesn't, like you mentioned, like it doesn't, it just doesn't happen very often. Even with Kyle Shanahan himself, like it's kind of hard to do. Last year, obviously, they did it in 2016. He did it with the Falcons, and then like you could argue in 2012, he did it with um, RG3 and stuff. But even he, like, while he still has great offenses every year, like to get absolutely everything you need, it's really hard because you need injuries to not happen. You need to have a good offensive line, like you mentioned, with the Vikings do not have. You need uh, your running backs to not continuously get injured. Uh, and you need them to be playing well. And you need, honestly, your defense to be playing well because these offenses in particular, I mean, no offense likes playing from behind, but these offenses that really like to play off of their run game, play off of play action and all these under center, like really slow way to play the game, you kind of have to have a defense that is keeping you within seven or 10 points so you can kind of stick with this style. Um, whereas like they don't, most of these offenses don't really have a fallback pattern. And I think um, that's kind of the problem now with this Vikings team is that they're not keeping themselves ahead of the chains and ahead of um, the scoreboard often enough for them to really be able to thread the needle the way they want to. And like you mentioned, like Kirk, while I don't think he's a bad quarterback by any means, like isn't one of those eight or 10 guys that kind of can rise above that and 
not need everything to be perfect all the time. Want to remind you to go to SodaStick.com to get all of your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen it yet, you've got to check it out. A couple of my favorite designs are the purple people eaters and the hooked on a Thielen look for all of you fans of a particular Detroit Lakes native receiver. All their apparel screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You'll love it. We're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. Use code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That's SodaStick.com, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, original Minnesota sports-inspired goods, code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. And I totally understand where some fans would say, if you don't have one of those eight or ten guys, then what are we even doing here? Because getting to the first round of the playoffs, even with very, very good teams in 2018 and 19, in terms of supporting cast, there's still a top five defense both years. You can't get over the hump. You have Thielen and Diggs. You can't get over the hump. It's like not everything is ever going to be perfect. I got a great tweet from someone who said, well, they're just a guard and a three tech and uh, the corners developing. And this is like, well, so is every team. (laughs) You know, every team is five, six, seven, you know, star players or quality players away from being really, really good. That's just kind of not how this generally works. Now that the ironic thing about the discussion Discussion. And again, I don't think Cousins is being traded anywhere. Like you said, uh, the, the line that I've used is, I mean, Rick Spielman will hand in the trade to the league and his resignation to the ownership if that's what's going to happen, right? So it, it's not going to happen. But the ironic thing is, is he's played pretty good. I mean, against Indianapolis, I thought they were so atrocious in their offensive line and their receivers did not perform well. Jefferson was not there and their scheme wasn't particularly good in that game. And I didn't even think he was that bad. The rest of the way, I mean, he's hit big plays. He's made throws down the field. He's had a couple times where he's escaped the pocket and actually done something. Like, I I think that the version of Kirk Cousins that you've seen this year has actually been fine, and it just tells you a little bit more about how if they are struggling in these certain areas, this is still where you end up. Right, well, that's the thing is, like, Kirk Kirk is is playing – to like what you paid him to be, right? Like when they brought him in, he is basically what he was asked to be, which is like, yeah, like hit on the play action shot plays, which he's done a fantastic job of for most of the season. Um, Make some throws on like the rollout stuff he's been able to do. He's had turnover issues this year in particular, which isn't quite his normal. Um, But I think that like some of them were really weird. And that Colts game in particular was really stupid. And I think he can fix that. But like, (laughs) he's mostly been the guy that you paid him to be. It's just like you said, you paid him to be a guy where if he is this and the rest of the team is doing what it's supposed to do, then you're a 12-1 team. Well, the problem is the defense is not as good as it needs to be. And the offensive line is probably worse than it needs to be if you're going to have all these, you know, if you're going to have this, you know, utopia of a team that you tried to bring in when you brought in Cousins. So that's the thing is, like, he's playing pretty close to, I think, what his capacity as a player is. Um, But, yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, like, if he's doing that and then a couple of things go wrong and the offense is still just this bad or the, the team as a whole is just this bad, then it's like that's just kind of that's just kind of what you are. And the body of work, you know, I, I know that people want to throw out the first two weeks. I wish sports worked that way because I grew up in Buffalo and Scott Norwood missed the kick wide right when I was five years old and would love to throw that one out. Hey, other than that wide right kick, that Super Bowl is fantastic. Um, the Vikings are, I think, 23rd in scoring percentage for drives. Um, you know, their their passing game is the middle of the road, basically. And that's the other point that I think of, too, is where the league has gone you look at this offense as a Vikings fan, you go like, well, this has been pretty good. And then you look at the rest of the league and be like, eh, maybe it hasn't been as good as I think. It's just maybe better than it has been in the past, but everybody else has surpassed this. And an interesting trend that I noticed statistically is that every team that's gone to the Super Bowl since 2015, when you know Peyton Manning was throwing dead ducks and you know whatever, but, but even Carolina that year, um, so everyone past that has been a top five uh, uh, expected points added passing offense. So incredibly efficient and successful, and you're putting up huge yards per attempt and so forth. And even with the Vikings last year, as good as they were and as easy as their schedule was, it still wasn't there. 
And so that's where I would kind of tend to lean toward agreeing with a lot of fans who think like there's nothing particularly wrong with Kirk Cousins and you could get there. It could happen. It's just if you can't get into that top five, that's the price to play poker to go to the Super Bowl. And when you look at his contract and how it's sort of laid out, if they go 10 and six or nine and seven, 2021, they're going to extend him and he's going to end up your quarterback for a long time. And I think you're kind of in like Matt Stafford territory of like, oh, well, you, you got your quarterback, but I don't know where you're going with it. Yeah. And like, the thing is we've seen cousins actually play or at least produce to the level to where you could have a top five passing offense like that. It was more back when he was in Washington, like with some of those Shanahan or McVay years. So he had like the peak of what this system is and can be. Um, so, like, I think that's even probably why this is more frustrating is that, like, you know that it is there somewhere with Kirk. It's just that, um, for whatever reason, like, the Vikings can never seem to get it out of him, whether that's the play calling, the offensive line, injuries, now this year the defense sucks, like, whatever it is, um, you just can't get that guy back for whatever reason anymore. And, you know, like you said, like, if you if they win, you know, 9, 10 games or whatever, and then extend him after 2021 or whatever, like, are you ever really going to get to the point where you maybe, like, scrap your whole coaching staff and get the next Sean McVay or something? Probably not. Like, that's just probably not where you're going to end up as a franchise. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely spooky territory where you could end up just in purgatory until whenever it is Kirk decides to hang it up. And I think that that's how Vikings fans feel when they're sending me Kirk Cousins trade proposals. And I'm like, you guys know I can't trade Kirk Cousins. So if I, <laughs> like, if I accept your trade, done, deal, that does, and nothing happens. Um, so, because if it did, then Lamar Jackson would be the quarterback of the Vikings because he would have been drafted here. And, and just, I don't mind bringing that up from time to time. Um, what I wanted to do um, is ask you about some quarterbacks that I think we're not decided on as a society. And I want to get your opinions on them. And maybe we can start with Josh Allen because Stefan Diggs, Hey, makes people better at quarterbacking shocker. Uh, but I'm also not buying it. Like I think what we saw against Tennessee is kind of what we'll see. And I think that you and I against the New York jets probably put up huge numbers and the Raiders and the dolphins. I think that his, that like wild success was in a lot of ways driven by the schedule. I think that's partly true. And also like just the way that he plays football, I think is conducive to like having these really volatile like highs too. Like he obviously has the lows and we know that. Um, and that was more evident when the team as a whole was not very good. Um, but now that there's enough pieces to kind of get to those highs more often, you're probably going to have streaks like this where he's really good. I will say I do think he's more accurate than I've ever seen him before. I mean, he still has, like, a few just god-awful misfires. But, like, he's really hitting on a lot of throws that I just have never seen him hit in his career. Um, and I don't really think he's any better of a processor than he was. Um, I think that offense does a really good job of getting guys open. Um, and I think really all of those guys are like, even though they're not the biggest players, they're all really good at like, not necessarily contested catches, but like if something's in the dirt, they're going to go find it. Um, and I think all those guys are really good at that. So I think they just have a lot of really perfect conditions for him to be good. And I think he's clearly not like an outright bad quarterback anymore, but I'm kind of with you in that I'm not fully buying this, you know, four, four game uh, MVP streak that he was on there. Uh, Sam Darnold, can we tell when his coach is Michael Scott? Like what, what, <laughs> what do you do? What do you, how do you figure it out? Because Ryan Tannehill had this particular coach. And I remember Mike Zimmer after a game in 2018 against the Dolphins saying that he was baffled by their game planning, which was, you know, typical sort of Zimmer comment, but like, Really? Uh, Gase is a horrible coach. It's a horrible situation. They have no receivers. Robbie Anderson's probably decent at football. You let him go. Um, I don't know what I'm supposed to make of Darnold uh, because I do believe if you throw a bunch of interceptions in college, you'll do it in the NFL. So I'm not thinking, oh, just put him somewhere else. He'll succeed. But at the same time, pretty tough circumstances to judge the guy. Yeah, I think there's absolutely no way to tell. And Tannehill's a good example because I thought Tannehill was like a really promising young quarterback. It just when your coaches were Joe Philbin who wanted to bench you for Matt Moore and then Adam Gase, it's just like, you know, what are you going to do? I think um, 
you know, Darnold is even in a worse spot because these, like, teams just talent-wise have been a lot worse on the Jets. So I think there's no way to tell. The only problem is, like, if you're the Jets, I don't really think you have any more time to figure it out either. Like, at this point, like, you probably just – even if Darnold might figure it out somewhere else, like, you've got to just let some other team figure it out. Like, this thing has run its course. You've probably got to move on and take Lawrence or Fields whenever that uh, whenever that comes up. And so I think Darnold might still be able to figure it out. He's incredibly talented. He's still young. I hope he gets some sort of like Jameis Winston deal where he can just there's no pressure for him to be the starter and if the the right, you know, circumstances come up, he can maybe get a little bit better and get a chance. I would love to know your opinion on what happened with uh Dwayne Haskins because my take on that is um someone like Ron Rivera just doesn't wake up one day and be like, "You know what? I'm tired of this guy. Let's bench him." Like there's got to be a reason. I mean, there just has to be something behind it that they were unhappy with. And then it comes out that they want to trade him. That's not something you do unless it's bad behind the scenes, whether that's not paying attention to how you're supposed to run the offense, not being able to command it. He had the ultimate guy who commands his offense in Cam Newton before. And so, you know, that would be his standard. Um, I just, I, I have a kind of a funny reaction when I see the internet be like, oh, black quarterback getting benched must be because he's black. Like, I don't know. Ron Rivera just had another one black quarterback before. I think that went fine. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. Like, there's just like these weird reactions to it. How dare you bench this young quarterback? I'm like, I don't know. Usually these teams, I'm not saying football team knows what they're doing, but Ron Rivera, I think he probably does. So, yeah, the the thing, I think if this was just like a – they had benched him and then he was just the second guy on the, on the lineup and he was still taking practice reps. Then I think I would be more willing to be like, okay, maybe they just think he sucks and that's it. But the fact that they like completely took him like off the active game day roster after honestly, like not a bad performance against the Ravens. I think he was fine. Um, they completely like take him off the, the roster. He's not taking any reps in practice. Um, the stuff comes out where it seemed like he wasn't working hard or whatever. And I, how much truth there is to that, who knows? You could obviously say that anytime a guy gets benched. But, like, I think kind of to your point, like, there has to be something more than was what was just on the field for him to go from starter to just, like, completely not even really in the building. So I still thought he was a decent college quarterback, but, like, I don't even know what you do with a player who gets benched in the particular fashion that he did. <laughs> I, I honestly have no idea what to do with that. And like, kind of like you mentioned, like I think Ron Rivera is a, a stand-up guy. So like for him to kind of just do that the way that he did, if I was another team and looking at that, I'd be like, man, if he's willing to take like that dramatic of a step, like maybe I don't want to take this chance on him, even if he was a first-round pick just a year ago. That's the way I look at it is you have to – I'm not saying that the football people are right all the time. They certainly are not. But uh, they know what's going on behind the scenes, and we don't always know, and it doesn't always get out. And then, you know, Haskins is sick. Like, is he? I don't know. Like, uh, you know, these – kind of weird smoke and mirror things that happen. I think eventually we'll get reporting on whatever happened behind the scenes for them to be like, trade this guy, get him out of here. Um, last one for you. Cause I know we talked in the off season about Kyler Murray and you um, shot through your roof there of your house or apartment because you were so excited about Kyler Murray. Um, yeah. Kind of, you know, a little disappointing results so far. I think this is going to be blasphemous to all my air raid. Uh, friends but like I think Cliff has not done a very good job of developing his offense for this year which is shocking because like throughout the course of just last season he did a very good job of that like they were changing personnels um, like they went from like a completely 10 personnel offense to doing like a bunch of 21 stuff and 12 stuff so like even just that like he showed some growth and like even last year when you looked at the Arizona offense the biggest issue to me was like their intermediate game just wasn't there and I took that as like, oh, they just didn't have like the talent to do that at the time. It's the first year with the system. Mm-hmm. He's probably going to lean on a lot of this quick game stuff. That's really the only way. And the offensive line was terrible. So like, of course, that was probably the only way that they could run the offense. Now, I think the offensive line is a little bit better. They obviously have more talent now that they've added Nuke. And the intermediate game still isn't there at all. And I think some of that is that Murray hasn't necessarily taken um, the steps that he needed to. I, I still think he's a fine quarterback, but like, the offense just really hasn't opened up, I think, in that 10 to 20-yard area in the way that it needs to. Um, so, like, they're really living this 
feast or famine where you're throwing five yards or you're throwing, you know, 30, and they're not hitting enough on those deep stuff to where um, you can get away with that kind of style of play right now. Yeah, it's uh, interesting because what we saw from him at the end of the year, just it had all the earmarks of, like, this guy Mm -hmm. takes that big next step. And maybe we overestimated the roster, too. I mean, that could be part of it. Like, we all just – I love it, the draft. It's one of my favorite things. You just Well, Isaiah Simmons, he'll just be, like, the best defender of all time. Look, he can play 11 positions on defense, like or he can't play any, I guess. Um, So, you know, I mean – and I know that that doesn't directly impact Kyler Murray, but what we thought of that team uh, has not exactly been what they've what they've turned out to be. And and I think, and this is really no fault of Murray. I think like the second year jump has been like distorted in our minds from after watching Patrick Mahomes yes. and then Lamar Jackson. Like yep. e- even if subconsciously we're thinking like. Like, now we think, like, oh, there can always be a guy every year who can do that. And it's like, man, like, these guys were record breakers. Like, I don't think they're, like, you can't just do that. Patrick Mahomes is maybe already the best quarterback ever. And Lamar Jackson had, like, the best dual threat season we've ever seen. So, like, I think that kind of wrecked in our minds how fast these guys can develop. Um, And and a thing that Mark Schofield always says is, like, progression is not necessarily linear. Like, a player doesn't get incrementally better every single year. You might have a year where – you completely flatline and then the next year you take a huge jump and then like, you know, your curve can be a little bit all over the place. And I think that's probably more natural than anything. And that's probably where Murray's at right now. So I'm not too worried yet. On Madden though. (laughs) On Madden, it's all linear. Every year the guy gets X number of points better if he's young. So I disagree with that point completely. Uh, Well, that one's going to be, I think, interesting to watch because I really love his skill set and I love his talent. But I don't think he's Deshaun Watson to where almost anything you throw at him, he can overcome and make you still good until it gets to complete hell uh, with Bill O'Brien. I, you know, I think that he might be one of those product of the system guys who has the extra gear. So kind of like if you could maybe give Kirk Cousins some like Kyler Murray legs and uh, or something like that, then you've got and you've got something there. Uh, well, Derek, it's always great to connect with you and people should follow your work. Uh, you have one of the great Twitters of all time, QBKLASS, a play, of course, on your name. And uh, people should go look at some of your film breakdowns on zone coverage. I'm happy to have you sort of sneaking into our market and dropping a little article now and then saying, uh, you know, here's a film breakdown for you. So people should check it out. And we will definitely do this again. Absolutely. I love uh, I love coming on here and uh... – Talking Vikings has definitely been a new uh, – it's definitely a new angle for me. I haven't covered a team in a while. But uh, covering Kirk Cousins has done something on my mental – have you ever seen that tweet that's like uh, – it's like um, me uh, reaping – or me sowing, and it's like, ah, ha, ha, yes. And then it's like me sowing, and it's like, oh, God, no, what have I done? That's kind of me covering the Vikings this year. Um, but it's it's still been it's still been a ride, so – it, appreciate you um, having me on again. The, watching the guards alone, very stressful. Yes, very exactly. Stressful. So this is this is funny, though, that you mentioned that because Jeremiah Searles is doing a weekly thing with me, and he played for the Vikings. And before we started doing it, he was like, you know, I'm not going to, like, trash players or anything. I'll just, you know, try to break it down sort of straight down the middle for you. And I'm like, great. And he broke by, like, last week. And he was just like, <laughs> what is going on? Like, he just losing his mind. <laughs> like, hey, man, you decided to do this. Exactly. You decided like to you... watch the Vikings offensive line. Like, you decided to watch Kirk Cousins almost throw an interception on the first play of the game right to K.J. Wright. Like, you decided to do that. Exactly, man. You you jumped on the train. Wherever it's going now, that's your fault. That's on you. <laughs> You'll be held responsible. So, yeah. uh, well, all right. I wish the best for your mental health going forward, and uh, we will definitely do it again on Purple Insider. Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring even more important than ever, and Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is 
going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed with free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division championships, futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today, take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. And an old friend, if you listened to the show back in the day, he, anytime we need to talk about Carolina Panthers football in some way would pop on, Julian Council. What is up, Julian? Not much, Matthew. Good to talk to you, man. It's been a while. Glad to hear that you're doing all right. And, um, yeah, let's talk about these three and two Panthers led by Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, how about that? And I don't mean to be twisting the knife on Vikings fans who still love Teddy Bridgewater, but if you go around town in the Twin Cities, you will absolutely see Teddy Bridgewater jerseys still from people just out and about because of the love for that man. And I think that uh, the Carolina Panthers have started to get a little bit of the idea of why Vikings fans always look at Teddy as I don't know if it's like the one that got away or just it didn't work out, but they always envision what could have been. And I'm watching a little bit of the Atlanta game back, Julian, and I'm seeing throws with velocity. I'm seeing some throws downfield. And these were the things that were criticisms of Teddy Bridgewater when he was a 21 or 22-year-old quarterback just coming into the league. And then he goes through everything that he went through. And now he's playing like somebody who is a guy you make your franchise quarterback. Am I wrong? I mean, he looks terrific. No, you're 100% right. And I tweeted out on Sunday after the win. I was like, it's like people forget that Teddy Bridgewater was the first round pick who was supposed to be the franchise quarterback, was the franchise quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings until his knee exploded a couple years ago. Then he goes to New York, gets rehabilitated, goes down to New Orleans, goes 5-0 and with that excellent defense and all-around roster. And it's like, oh, wait, Teddy Bridgewater's still good at football. You talk about throwing down the field. There's still those same kind of reservations and doubts here in Carolina after having Cam Newton for all those years. And he was a big time downfield thrower. And people looked at Teddy Bridgewater as just a game manager, just guy who's going to dink and dunk, which is kind of what Joe Brady's offense is here in Carolina, what a lot of offenses across the NFL are now. Now, if anyone was expecting him to go throw downfield like they did last year at LSU, the guys like Jamar Chase and Randy Moss's kid, that wasn't going to be the expectation. But he still found some ways, especially recently, to really throw the ball down vertically. There are guys like Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore. has a ton of playmakers on his offensive side of the ball. Teddy Bridgewater's looked really good. I thought coming this year that he had an opportunity to be the franchise guy. I know a lot of people were talking about just a couple weeks ago when they started off 0-2 and McCaffrey was out with the ankle injury. Let's go ahead and tank for Trevor, or let's go ahead and try and get Justin Fields from Ohio State or even Trey Lance from North Dakota State. It's like, hey. Teddy's their guy. Matt Rule went out of his way to go get Teddy Bridgewater. He had the relationship with Joe Brady in New Orleans for those couple of seasons. It made all the sense in the world to me that they would want to bring him here and get rid of Cam. I just didn't like the whole messaging around getting rid of Cam Newton. But Teddy Bridgewater has been pretty much as advertised, if not a little bit better. And I think Panther fans might start coming around on him. Yeah, now that's the interesting part, I think, to a lot of Vikings fans is him ending up in Carolina because the nightmare scenario almost – came to fruition with him ending up in Chicago. And then it turned out that they wanted him to battle with Mitch Trubisky, which he would have won, I'm sure, eventually, but they wanted Trubisky to get that last shot. And so he decides, no, I'm going to go where I'm going to be wanted. But at the same time, from the outside perspective, it was, uh, but Carolina looks terrible. (laughs) Looks like a complete rebuilding team with nothing for Teddy to work with. And then early in the season, Christian McCaffrey goes down. So he's already up against it there. Is this, uh, do you think in terms of their record of being three and two, something they can sustain and continue to compete? 
or is that going to be really challenging, um, considering that a couple of the wins are against not-so-excellent opponents? All five weeks of the season so far, even the two losses, they've been competitive. The Raiders game week one came down to really just who had the ball last. Mm-hmm. The, the Panthers had the ball last. They decided on fourth and inches to give it to the fullback Alex Arma instead of the highest paid running back in the history of the league, Christian McCaffrey. Still puzzled by that. So McCaffrey gets that first down, they hand it to him, or Arma just gets it. Then they probably go down and win that football game against Las Vegas, who you just saw beat Kansas City this past weekend. Week two – it was just shooting yourselves in the foot. The worst game that Teddy's played so far this season had the three turnovers, the two picks. One of them was an awful one. Had another fumble where he kind of got blindsided. I can understand any quarterback in the league probably fumbles that ball. But really, Tampa Bay didn't do anything that was all that impressive in that game. Tom Brady really didn't look great, and the Carolina Panthers defense really made him look foolish in the second half. In the last three weeks, just things have clicked. They've just kind of they've gotten things, they've cleaned up some things as far as penalties, as far as turnovers. Chargers and they were like a one in four football team, but you watched Los Angeles play. Like they've actually played all right. Justin Herbert, they found looks like they're going to be their franchise guy moving forward. And then Arizona, really, the only team that's really contained Kyler Murray so far has been the Panthers. And this past weekend, Falcons, they've won a ton of leads. Carolina controlled that game wire to wire. And Atlanta had an opportunity late there to try and tie it. And then they made a huge interception by Justin Burris to safety for them to be able to hold on to that game. So they've really been competitive and really the last three weeks. I've controlled those games. So looking ahead to this Sunday, the Bears, okay, well, Nick Foles, we were making jokes on Thursday night that, hey, the Bears' offense is just as bad with Nick Foles as it was with Mitch Trubisky. They have him, then they have a couple weeks with Atlanta again. They get Tampa. New Orleans going to be later on in the season. They have a game against uh, Pat Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. I look at this five-game stretch coming up. If they can go 3-2, and two, maybe 4-1, and one, I think it might be time to start talking about that P word around here. And uh, Teddy is the only guy, I think, who has played well as a Minnesota Viking quarterback in Chicago. I don't know if the game is in Chicago, but against the Bears. It's here. Oh, it's there. Okay. Well, against the Bears, that's always yeah. a team that – Well, does, does it really matter? Like, it's there's, there's no one to stand in. <laughs> right. Well, I right, guess there will be 5,200 people here. The, the Vikings have an incredibly bad record at Chicago. So, you know, but Teddy, I guess, won't be uh, shaken by that. Now, the the – interesting part about Teddy is always how his kind of personality and leadership connects to why people love him. Um, you know, he is, he's, he's almost like the thing that we try to not talk about because we feel like we've emerged past this in sports coverage, which is being a winner and things like that. But, you know, he plays on a really bad offense before Stefan Diggs truly emerged without, you know, Adam Thielen yet as a top wide receiver and gets them to 11 wins in 2015 and then in the 2016 preseason it it appeared as if he was going to take the next step and show the arm strength we talked about but Mike Zimmer had a couple of quotes one of them he said about Teddy Bridgewater that he never wanted another quarterback in his whole career he said he loved Teddy he was his favorite guy of all time and then everything I've seen from Matt Rule has been very similar and I've talked to, to Vikings players who say this guy changed my career uh, Adam Thielen talked about how he and Teddy would get together in 2017 and watch film, and Teddy would give him advice and all these things. It, it, it truly is incredible how he can take kind of command of a locker room and, and of a team just based on his personality. Yeah, and he's also a guy that everyone's rooting for, just going back to Minnesota and what happened to him and what he had to go through. Like, he thought he could potentially lose his leg, and just I mean, the thought of that, like we, we hear that, and now he's playing football again. Like What happened to Alex Smith was far more gruesome, but the, for what Teddy Bridgewater went through to come back and to have an opportunity to be the leader of a franchise and the way he played last year, it's just someone that everyone roots for, and he already had the infectious personality. So you add that to what he's gone through the last four or five years, it makes it even more so where you, that's, a really, that's a guy that you want to fight with every Sunday, every game day. You want to follow that dude into battle. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things that Vikings fans severely miss with their current quarterback situation. I'll definitely get your Vikings takes uh, as well. But just on the matter of Teddy, I I always think about like where this went in 2018 for the Vikings and them deciding to go with Kirk Cousins instead of sticking with Teddy because of the knee injury. And what I can't quite figure out is the Vikings looked at his knee and said, this is not going to work or this is too risky for us. But Carolina still decided to sign him 
to the long-term contract or at least pay him a, a good chunk of money. I don't know what you think of that, but I think it's kind of interesting that it really has not been an issue with him, his health. And then I see last week the man is dodging people and running into the end zone and making cuts. And it just, it's, I mean, even more, I guess, miraculous that he has not had any further issues. Yeah, I guess my biggest question there, too, from the Minnesota perspective is, Mike Zimmer talked about how much you love Teddy Bridgewater. Okay, so then why is he still not your quarterback? Because the way he played last year in New Orleans, as I mentioned, the way he started off this this season so far, like it's only five games. We don't know what's going to happen the next 11 weeks of the season and whether Teddy's going to continue to play the way he's played, completing 73% of his passes and, what, third in passing in the league right now? He's been really good. I'm just very confused by all the words that Mike Zimmer said about him, how much he loves him. Is like, was that Zimmer's decision? Was that Spielman's decision? Especially when you decide, like, you're not going to pay that guy, but you're going to give Kirk Cousins $84 million guaranteed over three million three years, and then this past offseason, give him two more years guaranteed. I, I don't know. It's weird to me. Like, I don't think health is not a concern, clearly, for the Carolina Panthers. Because if they were concerned about the health of a quarterback, I guess it was Cam Newton. As we've seen so far, he looks fine as long as, you know, he doesn't have the coronavirus. And with Teddy Bridgewater, yeah, you bring up the, the touchdown run he had against Arizona. He looks to be okay. So it is a, a question for Minnesota when you look at what Kirk Cousins has done. Now, he was great last year, especially in that playoff game in New Orleans. But so far this season has not been great. You have to ask yourself, if you're a Vikings fan, like why the hell is Teddy Bridgewater not still our quarterback? He's down there in Carolina balling out. And they definitely are asking themselves that. I can guarantee you that for a, a very high percentage of the fan base. But, you know, I think that when you go back to that decision, that what you were, were kind of up against as the Vikings is you just went to the NFC Championship game. And if you don't go back, it's going to be a huge disappointment, which it was with Kirk Cousins anyway. But at the time, it was if we bring back Case Keenum and we bring back Teddy Bridgewater and we try to see how that works out and Teddy's knee doesn't hold up, he's never the same player, Case Keenum regresses, we all get fired because we didn't get back there. In a way, even though pushing $84 million to the middle of the table with Kirk Cousins uh, it seems risky, but it was kind of the safest way to go because he was the healthiest quarterback, the guy with the big numbers, all those things, and it would have been more risky to go with Teddy, although, of course, someone on the radio may have suggested drafting Lamar Jackson, too. I don't know who that was. I, it couldn't be me. Uh, but well, Lamar hasn't won a playoff game, so you've been wrong. Yeah, that's so. true. That's true. That's true. One less playoff game than Kirk. But you know what? It, it always sticks with me, Julian, that the difference is between the two, that Teddy is just all heart and he's clutch and, and all those sort of things that, that we talk about with the cliches. And with Cousins, he's accurate. He could throw downfield. He could complete passes. But when you need him to make the biggest plays, he throws an interception right to K.J. Wright, right? It's just, like, amazing how these two guys are, like, the exact opposite yeah. of each other. It's in, do, do the teammates in Minnesota even like Kirk Cousins? Like, when, when Diggs was there last year, it seemed like every week you're getting, like, some sort of vibe check, like, on his, immense, his emotional state on the sideline as he's pissed off about Kirk Cousins that you're overthrowing him, throwing a pick. Even Adam Thielen, a dude who I would suspect would never really be all that upset about anything, he was always pissing you off yelling at Kirk Cousins. So that's my kind of thing. Like, do those guys even look, view him as a leader? Or is he just this dude who's getting paid a ton of money and he's a, he has to see on his chest because he's the quarterback? Yeah, I think it's much more the latter. I mean, I I think at first in 2018, guys were taken aback after being with Teddy and Case um, because those two are like ultimate leader type of quarterbacks. But I think they've gotten kind of used to it. And my understanding was that Diggs was more frustrated by kind of, you know, an offense that was built around a running back and maybe having to compete with Adam Thielen for catches and things like that and maybe wanted to be kind of the Kyrie Irving thing of wanting to go have his own team a little bit. But, uh, I, you know, with Kirk, his personality is just not to be that type of guy that he doesn't connect on a different level with people. And I, I think there's a lot of value in that. Like if you're not going to have the strongest arm of all time, which Teddy doesn't, or the greatest physical gifts, that part of it has to be willing everyone to kind of come behind you. And, and also, I mean, you know, Teddy's knowledge of the game, his intelligence, his command of the offense 
is terrific. But I think that there's something with that, that he connects on a personal level with people that play on his teams. Even he was like taking over as a leader in new Orleans. They were all doing the dance that he was doing and everything else like that. It's like no surprise that everybody was following Teddy, even when he was the backup quarterback. Yeah. From an evaluation standpoint, I have to remember like Kirk was a fourth round pick in Washington that same year they drafted RG3. So he was just there to be the backup. I also thought it was a curious decision by that organization to draft a dude who was pretty good in college at, at Michigan State and then also pair him with the Heisman Trophy winner and Robert Griffin III. But only Teddy, first-round pick. So clearly they always all the buzzwords about the leadership, the intangibles, all that kind of nonsense. Well, I mean, it's kind of true with him. It especially is. that, And he does have the raw talent as well. And with Kirk, that wasn't necessarily what was – the talk coming out of Michigan State, like had that been the talk and looking at his numbers, he probably would have been a first, not probably not a first round guy, maybe a second round dude. And someone that might've been expected to be the franchise of whatever organization would have drafted him at the time. So I think you got to really look back on that when you compare the two. I always think about um, when it comes to certain quarterbacks that overcoming stuff has value. So like Russell Wilson overcoming being short and being drafted in the third round, I mean, if he was able to make himself an NFL prospect at five foot ten, it really says something about him. And maybe the same for someone like Kyler Murray and with Teddy Bridgewater. He doesn't have the most traditional look of a quarterback. He's not six foot five. His throwing motion. Uh, I know there were some critics here in Minnesota that didn't love the throwing motion or the velocity or whatever. And it's like the guy just completes passes. So I don't know. You know, do it whatever way you want to do it. But when you're not. He came from Louisville, too. I mean, when you're not that guy who goes to the biggest program and has all the physical gifts and everything else, it must be something else, and I feel like that really helps you at the NFL level. It's annoying because they always get caught up on, like, size. If size mattered, then Brock Osweiler would be still in the league. <laughs> yes. um, Paxton Lynch would not have been a bust. I mean, those are two Denver quarterbacks. We just think about size because John Elway is always obsessed with how tall his quarterback is. Mm-hmm. Joe Flacco last year never really works out. But then you see some of the smaller guys in the league right now, Russell Wilson, best quarterback in the league. I don't think it's really a conversation. I mean, you could say maybe Mahomes, but, I mean, Russell's been carrying Seattle to the, the playoffs every year with, with no offensive line and less talent than that's, that's been around Mahomes in his first two years. So I tend to lean with Russ. Kyler Murray comes into the league. He looks pretty damn good so far this second year. Now, aside from the Carolina game where they shut him down. So I don't understand why people get so caught up in, in height. Baker Mayfield. Rookie year looked good. Last year was kind of up and down. Started off so pretty well so far this year. It's just these things where we get so caught up on what you think a quarterback should look like mm-hmm. instead of just evaluating, okay, what was this guy like in school? You know, does he win? Like, is Teddy all he's ever done? I mean, really, at Louisville, the two years that he was starting quarterback there, at least his final two years, they'd never had a winning or two-year period. That's even with Lamar Jackson, who people probably say is the best quarterback in Louisville, or maybe the best player in Louisville football history. Teddy Bridgewater went out there and won more than Lamar. Going to Minneapolis with the Minnesota Vikings, what, 11-5 and five when they won the division a couple years in 2015 before yep. that next summer where he gets hurt? He, all he did was win. Last year, New Orleans, 5-0 and oh as a starter. They might have lost the first game where he came in for Drew Brees in L.A., but last year, 5-0 and oh as a starter. Right here in Carolina, 3-2. and two. All the dude's ever done is won. And so we get caught up and like, oh, well, you know, he's 6'5", monster arm. Josh Allen, he's played well so far this season up until last night, but so far the sample size is not really pointed to him being that good of a quarterback as opposed for the first four games this season. But he was 6'5", had a monster arm. But at Wyoming, every time he played against a Pac-12 school, when Pac-12 is not noted for being the best football conference college football, he was garbage. So <laughs> <laughs> let's just be honest. So he's played well now, but before the season, there was a lot of question marks in, is this guy really any good or were you just caught up and in love with the fact that he's 6'5", has a huge arm. There's uh, a lot of this in sort of how do you view quarterbacks, you know, because I feel the same way about Josh Allen. He got games against the Jets and the Dolphins early in the season uh, and put up, you know, huge numbers. Not to take that away, but the Jets, Dolphins, and Raiders are not the best defenses that he put up huge numbers against. So it wasn't surprising to see him go up against the better team and have some struggles, and we'll see how that plays out. But just philosophically speaking, the giant guy with the giant arm, it does not always work out. In fact, it usually doesn't work out. And it's 
it's often been someone who has a uniqueness to their game, like Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes. I mean, no one had ever seen a guy throw a football the way that Patrick Mahomes could throw it, like the sidearm or the no look or all those things, aside from, you know, a few quarterbacks ever. Uh, and, you know, he brings it to the NFL and it's unique and it obviously works enough to win a Super Bowl. And I think with Teddy, there's kind of a tie in there, not that he's Mahomes, but just that sometimes being unique is good. And also the other thing is look at accuracy, look at smarts, look at leadership, look at winning. This is one thing that drives me nuts, Julian, is when people don't look at winning as part of an evaluation. Like, well, win-loss record for quarterbacks, who cares? Like, look, I love analytics. Everybody knows I love analytics. But, you know, that guy controls winning more than anybody else on the field. So if he doesn't win, you've got a problem. And that's always been the thing with Teddy is no matter what circumstance he's in, he finds a way to win. Now, I want to run a hot take by you. It's not my take. It's actually Richard Sherman's take is that the Carolina offense, I can tell you've heard this. this. Uh, or <laughs> unpredictable without Christian McCaffrey and therefore better without him. Your take. Um, I agree with the first part. They certainly are more unpredictable because when McCaffrey's in the game, you know where the ball's going, especially last season when they had Kyle Allen and all the thing he could do was check down on Christian McCaffrey, which led McCaffrey to have the third 1,000-yard receiving, 1,000-yard rushing season in the NFL history behind Roger Craig and Marshall Fall. Because their offense was McCaffrey last year. This year, I think the common consensus, uh, the consensus around um, the offense of Carolina Panthers was like, okay, you bring in Robbie Anderson from New York. He's going to be a guy who gets the ball a lot. DJ Moore had a 1,000-yard receiving season last year. He was coming in the season thought of as a number one wide receiver. Curtis Samuel, you have all those weapons around Bridgewater and with McCaffrey there. So I don't think the thought was that it was just going to be McCaffrey all the time. But the first two weeks, it was a lot of McCaffrey next to those guys getting the ball more. So the last couple of weeks with Mac Davis filling in and having to rely on Robbie Anderson, who's turned out to be the number one wide receiver, and finding ways with Curtis Samuel playing in the back wheel, playing in the slot, going out, going wide outside, even, even having some reverses with him that they've kind of been more – at least Joe Brady's had to kind of think and be more creative about what he's going to do with this offense as opposed to like, hey, um, let me just give the ball to Christian McCaffrey because he's mm-hmm. the best back in the league and one of the top five players in the NFL. So I don't think they're better. I just think that the, really, uh, for me, it's not just that Mike Davis has played well. I mean, Teddy's been really good. It's the offensive line's held up. The offensive line's been a major problem here in Carolina for like the last 10 years, and especially since Jordan Gross – retired at left tackle, it's been a revolving door. They went out there and got a written, written tackle in Russell Okun this year. He's only here for one season, and he's missed two weeks, and they've had to go to their second year, Greg Little, and another guy, Trent Scott, who used to be in Los Angeles with my um, with the uh, current offensive line coach here um, and Pat Meyer. So I think it's really been the defense also with Phil Snow, the first-year coordinator who spent his entire career in college with a, a bunch of young defensive players that have come along. That's kind of been the difference, not necessarily the offense. It's just the O-line, and then the defense has played well, which has allowed the offense to go out there and do what they were already going to do anyway with or without McCaffrey. So I understand where Richard Sherman's coming from from a defensive perspective and a guy who plays in the league currently. But I would not say this offense is better without one of the best players in the league. That makes no yes. sense to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and I could see where maybe Joe Brady would get a little more clever in finding ways to get certain people the ball that he could use when Christian McCaffrey comes back. But you do not want Christian McCaffrey off the field when he's one of the most dynamic players in the league. But I love the hot takeage from Richard Sherman. It's like, hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna you know pull out your sort of Skip Baylessy hot take, uh, why not? Like, go for it, man. That's that's why you're doing a podcast. Um, hey, we need the content, man. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We need to debate over these things. Um, I know that you want to give your take on Mike Zimmer um, going forward on fourth and one. So just hang on to that. Um, But let me ask you just one more thing about just sort of Bridgewater in this situation. I want you to kind of enter imagination land here and look into the Carolina Panthers future. Um, Let's assume they're not a Super Bowl contender at this moment. They're just a playoff team, maybe the seventh playoff spot. Maybe they miss it by a game or something. Um, but give me the next three years of Teddy Bridgewater, what those look like. Is he the quarterback in, in three years? Like what is the trajectory for Teddy Bridgewater look like in Carolina? And keep in mind, Vikings fans are hoping you say he comes back to Minnesota eventually. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Um, 
considering just like it was really it was Matt Rule's call to bring him. I, I I forget who it was who told him like back when he was still at Baylor. Hey, if you ever get an opportunity to go to the NFL, you need to get Teddy Bridgewater as your quarterback. And he did that. And Teddy's played well so far. Joe Brady, the everyone believes around here that he's going to eventually be a head coach in the NFL after being coordinator here for maybe just this season or next season. I mean, the dude's 30 years old. It's his first time. He's, play, he's had five games calling plays at the NFL level. I think we should probably slow down a little bit. Like, he's lucky to even be in this position in the first place. Like, he wasn't even the play car last year at LSU. Like, I think he's done a fantastic job. But we're still we're seeing also like in the NFL that Joe Burrow is pretty damn good. So maybe it was just Joe Burrow had a really awesome season, and also the LSU team was super talented last year. And not just it was only Joe Brady who was a mastermind behind the greatest college football offense that we've seen in the modern era. So we'll see how long he sticks around. But having that relationship, I, he's here for next year, guaranteed. Whether they draft the quarterback in the first round, they end up bottoming out like they've done the last two years. And then after that, it's up to the team. I, I I want to I I think he's gonna if he keeps playing the way he's gonna play and in my heart I think he's gonna stay here even if I I think it's gonna work out where Teddy Bridgewater three years from now four years from now but I think he's gonna be the starting he's gonna be the franchise quarterback he's only twenty seven he was a first round pick mm-hmm. so what's the point in going out there and hoping that Justin Fields is the right guy because eventually he's got to learn and grow in this league Teddy's already had that opportunity to learn and grow in the league even if it was having to be on the sideline recuperating with the Jets and then filling in last year for Drew Brees. And he had his early years in Minnesota. Trevor Lawrence, it would be a marketing hit here in the Carolinas if he came here from coming from Clemson only two and a half hours south of Charlotte. But is that a guarantee that he's going to be great? You're going to have to live and die with him early on in his career, and you're going to have to hope that he's going to be good enough. And last time they picked a big-time quarterback like that, Cam Newton, they were good. They went to the playoffs a couple of years, but they never ultimately got to Super Bowl. I don't know if Teddy Bridgewater is going to be Super Bowl winning quarterback in Carolina. There's got to be a lot of pieces around him and around any team for that to happen. I just think right now, I think the best thing for the Carolina Panthers is for Teddy Bridgewater to keep playing the way he's playing. And for him to be a long-time starter here in Carolina, opposed to hoping and waiting and wishing that some one of these college kids is going to be the savior. Yeah, and if you win seven games, I mean, who are you picking You're not if you're not getting Lawrence? I think Lawrence is the guy you would clearly take over Bridgewater and maybe Fields, but nobody else, probably not. Like, because- like the Lance guy, like because everyone's like, oh, Trey Lance, North Coast State. All right, no one's seen him play football. I know he played like two weeks ago, but no one watched a single game he played last year with North Dakota State outside of maybe the national title game instead of watching college basketball on that random December Saturday. Like, no one watched him play. Carson Wentz came from the same school. It was pretty good that year the Eagles won the Super Bowl. It kind of looked like an MVP quarterback until he tore his ACL going to the end zone against Los Angeles. Hasn't been the same since. Has never been healthy. And the people in Philadelphia are calling for Jalen Hurts. Came from that same level. Are we sure that Trey Lance is that dude? Or is it just like, oh, hey, he went to North Dakota State where Carson Wentz went, and he's been playing really well, and that program never loses. Like Easton Stick, he's the backup in Los Angeles with the Chargers right now. Is anyone calling for Easton Stick to be the franchise quarterback of any NFL team right now? I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't seen Trey Lance play, so I can't say he's not going to be good enough. I'm just not sitting here banking on some dude who plays FCS football on a team that is far more talented than the rest of that division to be – the guy who's going to finally bring the Lombardi trophy to Charlotte. We're close enough in Minnesota to the Dakotas that people will be upset with you over that take. I'm just telling you that that's Well, a, hey, a maybe it could be the Vikings quarterback they, if they keep playing like <laughs> maybe. this. Maybe. <laughs> maybe if they keep playing like this. Uh, but, but just to your point, though, if you look at the teams that have recently gone to the Super Bowl, if this this version of Teddy Bridgewater continues, maybe even a little less, uh, you had Jared Goff go, you had Jimmy Garoppolo go, uh, Matt Ryan goes a couple of years ago. Like these, uh, what we've seen in the NFC with no clearly dominant, unbelievable quarterback. Breeze has been great, but often loses in the weirdest ways. Uh, yeah. Wilson Wilson has a good chance at going back, but his team is still flawed. So, when, but when you're looking down the road, you're saying, well, they've got a lot to build on now with their draft picks from this year, and then it kind of happens fast. It actually, like for the Vikings, their trajectory, it happened fast. They were supposed to be in this long rebuild when Mike Zimmer took over. Two years later, they should have beat Seattle in the playoffs. 
and then they're in the NFC Championship not longer, uh, not too much longer after that. So that's kind of the trajectory you're hoping. And if you have a quarterback who's good enough, it's about building the rest of it around it because, you know, in the AFC, you're probably just facing Mahomes or Lamar Jackson uh, over the next number of years. So that's um, a, I mean, that's a great point that you bring up there because if you do talk about the young quarterbacks that are emerging in this league, they are all in the AFC where you bring up Mahomes, Lamar, I mean, Deshaun Watson, Lord, right. please let him get Eric Bieniemy so that team can be saved. Uh, they're all on the AFC side. I mean, here in the NFC South, Brady, I guess if he has next year, and who knows, Breeze, this is it for him. Uh, Atlanta, Matt, there's been talk that if they suck enough, like, hey, Trevor Lawrence is from Georgia, why not he be the quarterback in Atlanta? Who knows how much longer Matt Ryan's around? Uh, the NFC East is, God, just a disaster. Right. Uh, Dak, yeah. Like Dak Prescott, we'll see what he's – I think he'll be fine whenever he comes back. But outside of that, there's not really that star power outside of Russell Wilson in the NFC. And if the star power is also is two aging quarterbacks in the NFC South and Breeze and Brady who aren't going to be around three years from now. So right. maybe Teddy Bridgewater has a chance to end up being kind of like one of the top quarterbacks in the NFC if he continues to play like he's played. And if they can build enough around him, which, you know, yeah. kind of on, kind of on your way. Well, Taysom Hill is going to be unbelievable in uh, New Orleans. Oh, he'll be geez. he'll be 46 years old. And people will be like, that young guy in New Orleans, Taysom Hill, he's got potential. Uh, okay, give me the take. I made you wait this whole time. Give me the take on the fourth and one. We've argued over this, uh, you know, nonstop in Minnesota since it happened. Zimmer goes for it, loses the game to Russell Wilson. And uh, let me guess, you think he should have kicked the field. No, I don't. Okay, um, good. All right, good. We're on the same side then. Uh, uh, here's the real issue. Uh, didn't they go chasing for po- chasing points earlier in the game in the they, third quarter? Going for they two went, to try and tie the they, game, yes. They went for two, so they kicked the field extra point back then. All they would have needed was a field goal, which would have put them up by nine points. So You're, you're that think, person, huh? So okay. I'm uh, – no, but also, like, I'm not kicking <laughs> the field goal. They, they ran for 200 yards on them. They mm-hmm. dominated Seattle's defensive line all night. You are an inch away from a first down. Of course you're on the football. And also Madison, all he had to do was cut it out to the right, and he would have walked in for a touchdown. So the running back also didn't make, make the right read on the play. So I don't think Zimmer was wrong. I wouldn't want Russell Wilson to have the football, which was his plan. If he got the football, I don't know, maybe Zimmer as a defensive head coach could, you know, get his defense to stop a team from going 94 yards to beat them. I just I think that's probably the thing you should be more upset about is they went 94 yards to beat you and they had two fourth down conversions. Right. And that your tackle got blown up on that play and slammed back into your fullback and you couldn't get a yard. I mean, that's yeah. another thing, too. It's like you should be able to execute that on the 86th play of the game or whatever it is uh, for the Vikings. They had like a big 12 level number of plays in that game and still couldn't get that one yard. So, okay, well, I'm glad we're mostly on the same page there. Julian, uh, great to catch up with you. You and I, cousins in getting fired by uh, COVID or via COVID. So you're, yeah. you're back on your feet. I'm doing this. So we're, we're rolling along. But uh, I hope we can do it again to preview the Vikings and Panthers. And we'll talk Absolutely, more about man. Teddy and make people sad. Yeah, seriously. I mean, hey, Minnesota fans, I'm sorry. Um, and Teddy Bridgewater, he's been great so far. Panthers fans don't love him just yet. He, Teddy said yesterday, he's like, I get it. Cam Newton was a fan favorite, still is a fan favorite. I'm trying to win these people over by winning. If he keeps winning, I think he's going to be as beloved here as he was beloved in Minnesota. Yes. And um, the only thing you don't have is the, like, what could have been. You'll find out what could have been, I guess. So. No, well, we, we have the what could have been with Cam Newton, I guess. Ah, that's true. That is true. That, right, that's well. what, that's painful. What could have been if Mike Remmers wasn't sliding on skates against Vaughn Miller? Sorry, sorry, I, I had to. Uh, all right, well, that's enough, so you can go cry. And uh, we'll catch you next time on Purple Insider.